This week, the Cato Institute features the best of Cato Daily Podcast's previously aired episodes. Enjoy the reruns. Welcome. Today is Friday, the first day in June. I'm Anastasia Glova, and we've got a special podcast for you today in two parts. New York Times columnist David Brooks and Cato's Vice President for Research Brink Lindsay shared the podium at Cato earlier this week. Brooks was a commentator at the forum for Brink Lindsay's new book, The Age of Abundance, How Prosperity Transformed America's Politics and Culture. In today's podcast, both commentators will have a chance to share their views. So in the first part, David Brooks puts the book in the context of his own political outlook and explains where his views diverge from Brink's. The second part is Brink's answer to the issues that David Brooks raises. First off then, David Brooks. Let's first just dispense with the praise, if you have any, for the book. <laughs> okay, it's easy to dispense with. As I said up there, it's um, it's like the old great nonfiction books of the 1950s. It's like a big subject, a lot of information you don't know, and it's a book of synthesis, which academics don't do enough of. And so what it does is it takes you through the last 50 years of American history, not only culturally and economically, but also intellectually. And you see how these big things sweep through the country. And so he's describing this big cultural change, and then it, it naturally gets you thinking about what sort of cultural change are we in the middle of. Now, how does your own book, Bobos in Paradise, fit into the thesis in Brink Lindsay's book? There are a lot of commonalities, and the main one is that we both see this culture war that occurred between, if you want to put it this way, hippies and evangelicals. And we both think that culture war is no longer the defining conflict. We think most people have reached a synthesis where they take some of the ideas from the 60s and some of the ideas from the 80s, and they merge them together. And he thinks this is a, a libertarian synthesis. I think it's less libertarian synthesis than an upper-middle-class, soft democratic synthesis, I guess. But we both see the same sort of synthesis. Well, clearly you had some quibbles with the thesis there, and specifically during your remarks, you pointed out that voters are more community-oriented and moved by the Hillary Clinton brand of, we're all in this together, it takes a village, more so than by individualism. Yeah, well, I just observe, without really embracing the idea, if you take a look at upscale voters who are the most affluent, they tend to be quite democratic in many places. It depends where they are in the country. In Texas, they're not. But in New York City, in Santa Monica, in Los Angeles... They tend to be either moderate Democrats or incredibly liberal Democrats. The Howard Dean voter is hardly a libertarian voter. And so I just don't see that the affluence is leading in a libertarian direction just looking at the data. Your column in The Times from a few weeks back actually addressed this very issue, didn't it? You you don't think that Republicans would be pragmatic to take a U-turn back to Reaganomics and Reaganite politics. No, I think the Reagan agenda was good for the age of Reagan when we were facing really what was a resurgent liberalism that wanted to create a big Swedish-style welfare state when we were facing the Soviet Union. But I think the problems are fundamentally different. And the problems now have to do with globalization, they have to do with Islamic terror, they have to do with a more skills-based economy. And these are sort of decentralized problems. And I think the Republicans should, on, on the merits, offer an agenda to help people compete in this sort of new economy. And simply on political grounds, I think the American people are right to sense that they want a little help from government. Not to get them out of personal responsibility, not to get them out of the rigors of the capitalist economy, but to give them the tools to compete in it. And so I think the Republicans shouldn't look backward to Reagan, but forward to something else. You're referring, I guess, to, as you put it, security leads to freedom paradigm? Right. And this I'm sort of piggybacking on Tyler Cowen, a great blogger and a libertarian, I believe, 
who said that the Reagan Republican era was an era where people had a paradigm in their head, which was that government threatens freedom. But that paradigm no longer fits the reality, and I think that's true. And then my paradigm for what does fit the reality is that security leads to freedom, that if you have a sense of security in your home, that you won't get killed by terrorists, that you have certain skills, then you're going to take some risks. And I think we need to help people have that sense of security, and then they will go out and be really active free market players. But Robert Robb from Arizona Republic addressed your column at Real Clear Politics. He asks, I've always wondered what they expect small government conservatives to do. Just shut up and support big government Republicans as preferable to big government Democrats? Do you have an answer for Rob? Yeah, no. Well, first of all, I'm not a politician. I'm talking about what the reality is, what substance is on the merits. And so I'm describing what I think are the real problems and what I think are the best approach to the solutions. I'm not Karl Rove. Uh, My job is not to create a majority coalition, and neither is his. And so I don't expect small government conservatives to shut up. I expect them to have an argument, which is what we always have. But so he never really addressed the merits of my argument. He just said, what about us? The supposition should be that if I'm going to tailor my arguments to whatever can lead to political majority, I suspect that without each other, neither of us have a political majority. I think small government conservatives manifestly do not have a political majority. There simply isn't 50% of the country that believes in cutting the size of government. And I suspect that us Hamiltonians don't have a majority either. And so we sort of need each other. And on actual matters of difference, the differences aren't that great. I supported Social Security reform. I supported private accounts. I support a lot of the healthcare programs that emphasize competition and choice. I support reasonably open borders. So on the substance, you know, it's easy to work up a coalition. But again, I'm not trying to create a uniform governing majority. That's not my job. I'm talking about the substance and the merits of the issues. Thank you so much, David. The debate over politics, culture, and abundance is not over yet. In the second part of this interview, Brink Lindsay offers his rebuttal.